Amen. Amen. That was great. I think that was one of the better ones the choir has has done. That was great. Oh, they're all great. Uh, We're going to be in the book of James this morning. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. I told you the story of how we ended up here in James this morning. I kept trying to, to, I had, basically the message is almost complete. Just needed some little more work, but the Lord just wouldn't let me finish it. He kept bringing me back uh, to like, you're not, we're not in Hebrews this morning. So we ended up uh, going to the book of James. Felt like it's where the Lord directed us this morning for just a two-part series just for today in the book of James. And so our message this morning is the source, force, and course of temptation. And you have the handout in your bulletin there that you can go along with. And there's a fill-in-the-blank handout for our message this morning. But again, our message is titled The Source, Force, and Course of Temptation. And we'll read here in just a moment. And if you're able to stand for reading God's Word, please stand. We're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. God's Word says, Let no man say when he is tempted... I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for our church. We thank you for all those that are here this morning, Lord. We thank you for provision for our church. Lord, again, we thank you so much for your precious word. Be with me this morning, Lord. I would be your message, Lord. Direct my tongue, direct my lips, Lord. It would be everything that you'd have it to be this morning, Lord. There are things you want me to add. Help me to add those. There are things you want me to skip over in my notes. Help me to, my eyes not to see those things in my notes, Lord. Again, help me be that conduit of your message. Just get me out of the way, Lord. Help me all about you this morning. Help, help us apply it. Just again, just use me, Lord, to deliver your message this morning. In spite of myself, Lord, just use me for your message this morning. And we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Again, the title of our message is The Source, Force, and Course of Temptation. That's basically our outline as well. You know, every trial has the potential to become temptation when not met with faith. Trials may lead us, for example, to wallow in doubt instead of seeking the Lord out in prayer. Uh, James 1, 5 to 6, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And temptation here is used in two senses. Number one, uh, testing under trial, as we can see in James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And the second sense in which that word temptation is used is a solicitation to evil. And that is how it's used here in James 1, 13 to 14. James is now going to talk about this temptation in this passage, which is the temptation to do evil. So you know people often say the Lord tested them in reference to a temptation of sin they have experienced when it was not the Lord testing them at all. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he does not tempt with evil. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, James 1.13. So James deals with something here which is very important for God's children to understand because we like to blame, and uh, many times we may often even blame God for many things in our life. 
for which he is not responsible. Humans like to blame. Uh, we like to blame things. Uh, we like to blame, for example, inanimate objects getting in the way of our toe in the middle of the night when we're walking. How did that chair leg get there or that table leg get there? It wasn't there this morning. It must have scooted over by itself. Uh, we like to blame. But there's, if there's one person or, or one being that we should never blame anything on or blame anything for, that is God. We should never blame God for anything. I have a, 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 I hope this is humorous. At least it was humorous to me. Illustration for this. A man was once on a diet. He was struggling. He had to go downtown. As he started out, he remembered that his route would take him by the donut shop. So as he got closer, he thought, man, a cup of coffee sure would be great right now. It would hit the spot. Uh, then he remembered his diet. And he's like, oh. So then that's when he prayed. He prayed something like this. Lord, if you want me to stop for a coffee and a donut, let there be a parking place in front of the shop. And then later he commented on this. He said, you know what? Sure enough, I found the parking place right in front of that donut shop on my seventh time around the block. Men like to shift blame. Many men no longer want to be held responsible for themselves or their own decisions. Now, speaking of temptation, someone once has said, most people want to be delivered from temptation, but would like it to keep in touch. Most people want to be delivered from temptation, but would like it to keep in touch. James, in these verses, gives us a strategy uh, for dealing, for, or, excuse me, for overcoming the deadly lure of temptation. To overcome temptation, we need to recognize its source, its force, and its course. And so that brings us to our first one, our first point to overcome temptation. Recognize its source, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So James makes it very clear that God never tests men with evil. God never tests men with evil and with sin. Like we have pointed out, man likes to blame. Uh, man has a natural propensity to blame God for his own mistakes, blame God for his failures, blame God or blame, uh, blame, blame others for sins. And James addresses this tendency head on and bluntly in our passage. James basically says, don't you be blaming God for that. That wasn't God. Maybe you need to look in the mirror, but don't you be blaming God for that. Tempted in verse 13, the same Greek word that's translated as trial in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 12, but clearly has different senses. Uh, God tests or tries believers' faith. That is true, but he does not tempt anyone to sin. God tested Abraham by asking him to sacrifice his son and Isaac, Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. And we know that story, how he tested Job by allowing Satan to afflict him with all those trials. God tests both the righteous and the wicked to reveal their respective characters. God tests both the righteous and the wicked to reveal their respective characters. We see that in Psalm 11, Exodus there. And with his people, with God's people, the purpose of God's tests is to refine our faith like gold or silver. It's to refine us. First uh, Peter 1, 6-7 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
I actually have another whole message that we're not going to preach today, but I have another message called If Need Be uh, from those, that passage. And also 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. But because of that indwelling sin, because of the existence of Satan, every test may also, because of our just deprived sin nature, may also become a temptation to sin for us. Thus, it's important to recognize that temptation never comes from God, so we must never blame him for tempting us. Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, fallen human nature has been prone to shift that blame, uh, to blame others for our evil deeds. When God confronted Adam, Adam replied, Genesis 3.12, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree night at Eve. It's Eve's fault. It's not my fault. It's Eve's fault. Then when God confronted Eve, she replied in Genesis 3.13, The serpent beguiled me, and I did it. It's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. Shifting blame, blaming others, not willing to take that personal responsibility. Now, both statements, you could say, are technically true. Eve did give Adam the fruit, and then the serpent did beguile Eve, but they made that personal decision to sin. They had that personal responsibility to sin. They can't blame anybody else for what they did. And in reality, if you think about it, Adam's answer really blamed God because God gave him Eve. So really, he's almost, in a way, blaming God for that sin. Now, James wants us to see that if we go down that route, shifting blame, it's this person's fault, it's that person's fault. Actually, you know, Laura, I think it might be your fault. If we go down that route, we will not overcome temptation. We will impugn the holy character of God. So to overcome temptation, we must own up to our mistakes, own up to our miscalculations, own up to our sins, own up to our giving into temptation. We must take that personal responsibility and then repent and turn back to God. Own up to it. I did that. I sinned. There's no reason for it. I'm not going to blame this situation. I'm going to blame that person for that. I sinned. I messed up. I did wrong. Please forgive me. Repent that. Repent of that to God and turn back to God. Proverbs 19.3 insightfully observes the foolishness of man perverteth his way and his heart fretteth against the Lord. The Bible has numerous examples of shifting the blame for sin. And one that is humorous, if sin can be humorous, is found in Exodus 33. If you can turn there with me. Every time I read this, even though it's an awful sin, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit every time I read this account. So we turn me to Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to look at verses 2 to 4. This is when Aaron makes that golden calf. Exodus 33, or excuse me, Exodus, I think it's Exodus 32. I think I'm telling you wrong. Exodus 32, and as soon as I said Exodus 33, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. So Exodus 32, 2 and 4, excuse me, 2 to 4. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So that's blasphemous. That's terrible what happened there. 
Exodus 32, 2-4 reports that he that Aaron told the people to bring their jewelry, bring their gold. He took it. He fashioned it with a tool. He made it into that golden calf. But when Moses confronts him about it, look down with me at verse 24. When Moses confronts Aaron about it in Exodus 32, 24, unbelievably, uh, Aaron says he took the people's gold. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Moses, they, they brought all this gold to me, and I threw it in the fire, and poof, this golden calf came out. So, of course, we started worshiping it. You know, this, poof, this golden calf came out. Aaron tried to blame fire. He tried to blame fire for his actions. I've never blamed fire for my actions, but Aaron tried to blame fire for his sin. Uh, I didn't do it. The fire did it. Now, that doesn't, to me, that just doesn't sound like uh, an excuse an adult wouldn't use. But Aaron says, I didn't do it. The fire did it. To me, that reminds me of maybe a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old that I might know. might try to come up with something like that. I didn't do it. The fire did it. It sounds like something like that. It, it sounds that ridiculous, that, that, that unbelievable. Yet man likes to shift that blame. I didn't do it. Man doesn't want to take personal responsibility for their sin. But we must take personal responsibility for our actions, for our sins. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses, confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. We have to take that responsibility for our sins, for our actions. Now, there is no sin or evil in God, 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There is no evil in God. In him is all goodness and light, and all is right. James nails that, 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 that sinful line of blame shifting on the head. He says, God cannot be tempted with evil. It's impossible because of his holy nature. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity, Habakkuk 1.13. God cannot look on iniquity. He says, in him is no darkness at all. So God cannot tempt with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil. And Jesus made this very interesting statement to go along with this in John 14, verse 30. Jesus said, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. And hath nothing in me. Devil ain't got nothing on me. He's coming, but he has nothing in me. So let's touch on some theology at this point. Jesus could not sin. He could not sin. The prince of this world had nothing in him. Somebody asked him, why was he tempted? Mark, and excuse me, Matthew 4, 7. Jesus said to Satan, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, this is not my notes, but a side note. What does Jesus do when he was tempted? Confronted it with the word of God. Quoted scripture. We need to memorize scripture. When we're confronted with temptation, memorize scripture for different types of temptations that may just, that may just constantly get to us. Memorize scriptures when that temptation is entered into our mind, that we immediately the Holy Ghost brings that scripture to our mind, and we quote that scripture back to the devil or back to that temptation. So anyway, God wants to save us from sin, and he does not tempt men to sin. He wants to deliver men from sin. God never uses sin as a test. He will not permit it. And as we shall see, the Lord Jesus Christ had no sin in him. The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now, the reason he was tempted was to prove that there was nothing in him. He was tempted to prove there was nothing in him, tempted to prove that that, that man of sin, that Satan had nothing in him. And after Jesus had lived a life on earth for 30 years, 
Then comes along Satan with his temptation. A temptation that appeal demands total personality, the physical side, the mental side, the spiritual side. The Lord Jesus could not fall, and the testing was given to demonstrate that he could not fall. If he could fall, if he could have sinned, then our salvation is in doubt at any moment. Because what if, if Satan, excuse me, Jesus had the, the ability to sin or could sin, theoretically, we could never be secure in our salvation. Because what if he, somewhere where we don't know, he sinned? And there goes our salvation. He's no longer the perfect sacrifice. Our salvation is, is gone. So Jesus cannot sin, but he was tempted to prove that he could not sin. Uh, his temptation was to prove that he could not sin. So since God cannot be tempted by evil, it follows that neither tempteth he any man, James 1.13. If we want to overcome temptation, we must at the outset put out of our minds all shifting blame. We can't shift blame especially blaming God. We cannot shift. It's just it's just the situation. It's God. It's these people. Uh, these people treated me wrong in church one time, and I haven't been back in 20 years. We can't blame. Look, at, it's you. Look, look at yourself. We can't keep shifting blame. So then if we can't shift blame, we can't blame God. We can't blame others uh, but for this temptation. Where does temptation come from? Temptation comes from our own sinful desires. Uh, James 1.14, again, drawn away of his own lust. Now look at verses 13 to 14 again. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. James does not mention here the devil as a source of temptation, though he will do so later in, in the book of James in chapters 3 and 4. Here he wants us to see to blame God or circumstances or the devil or others for my sin is to dodge the real source of it. There's no hope for overcoming it unless I acknowledge it comes from my, my own sinful desires. It comes from my own sinful desires. I am the source. We must acknowledge our sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John 1, 9. For all have sinned that come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We cannot get around it. We are all sinners. We need to own up to our sins. We need to confess them, get right with the Lord. So there is no hope for overcoming our sin unless we acknowledge it comes from our own sinful desires. We're sinners. You want to know where your sin comes from in your life? We're sinners. But on the other hand, there is hope for victory when I begin to recognize and be on guard against this monster really that resides inside with inside of me uh, i'm gonna read something i don't agree with the thought behind this but i'm gonna read this i'm gonna comment on it thou knowest that thou hast formed me with passions wild and strong and listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong the lines i just quoted were written by robert burns he was a scottish poet he penned this right after his passions led him astray right after he fathered an illegitimate child and listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong. He he said, God, you gave me these passions. These passions led me wrong. He's blaming God for what happened. He's shifting that blame. Not owning up. Not, not taking that personal responsibility. Again, shifting that blame. But we need to own up. It's, it's our own simple desires that, that lead us astray. Now, lust means desire. Sometimes it refers to legitimate desires, as it does in Luke 22, Philippians 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But usually it means sinful desires. 
Sometimes the same basic desire may either be legitimate or sinful, depending on circumstance, situation, how we handle it. Uh, for example, that man that we talked about earlier, he wants a donut. He desires a donut. He's hungry for a donut. He doesn't have any money, but he wants a donut. So he circles around seven times, parks, he walks in, and just steals the donuts and leaves. His legitimate desire for food led him to sin and steal donuts. That doesn't excuse. A legitimate desire does not excuse us then taking that and then sinning to fulfill that legitimate desire. Also, we need to distinguish between the manner in which Jesus was tempted and the way we are tempted. Jesus did not have an innate desire, an inside desire towards sin, as we do. For Jesus' for Jesus' temptation, it came from the outside. It came from the outside, not from within. He did not have to battle sinful thoughts such as lust or greed or being jealous of others as we do. All these wrong desires come from our sinful hearts, which we inherited because of Adam's sin, which Jesus did not inherit since God was his father, not, not, not uh, Joseph. Since God was his father, Jesus did not inherit that sin. It's what is inside a man that defiles a man. Mar- uh, Jesus said something about this in Mark 7.15. There is nothing from without a man that entered into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Jesus is basically saying what James is saying here in our passage. is not, it's us. It's desire. It's our lust. It's, it's our heart. It comes from us. Um, to overcome temptation, it is important to realize that although the initial thought of sin stems from my sinful flesh, it is not sin unless I pursue it. We can all have that quick thought, but what do you do with that thought? Put that thought away. But as soon as we dwell on that thought for the next second, then it becomes sin. But we, can, we all are tempted. We all can see things. We all can have that initial flash, that initial thought. Just get rid of it. Don't, don't let it dwell there. Uh, it is not sin unless I pursue it. Sin always begins in the mind. We can, we can dismiss it. Uh, we can have that thought and we can dismiss it, not go any further with it. No one ever falls into adultery, for example, without first entering it in his or her thought life. Uh, if we judge these sinful thoughts, the instant they pop up in our minds, we'll not head down that path toward sinful behavior. Um, but if we do entertain such sinful thoughts, sooner or later Satan will present that outward opportunity to sin, even though we've already been sinning mentally but he'll give us that outward opportunity to sin. In such cases, that actual sin has been going along, going along mentally for a long time. Uh, if we make it our habit to take bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we will not sin in thought or deed. We need to make it our habit of bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5, and we will not sin in thought or deed. This is the key. We must make it our habit to take those evil thoughts and bring them into captivity, uh, put them in thought jail. That thought pops in our mind. You have thought jail. Dismiss it. It goes in thought jail, throw away the key, never think about it again. Bring it into captivity. Put it in thought jail and never think about it again. Throw away that key. Never think about it again. Now, we are all tempted differently. We differ from person to person with regard to the things that tempt us uh, men or can be can differ from women. Men uh, can differ from other men. Women can differ from other women. Uh, pride leads us to judge those who yield to sins that have little appeal to us. How could they do such a thing? 
but the same pride, like, well, that's just the way I am. How could they do such a thing? But that's just the way I am. We excuse ourselves, but we really are quick to judge others. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. We need to be careful. First of all, we need to not excuse our own sin, but we need to be careful to not judge others too quickly. Uh, sometimes we need to judge sin, but we need to be careful not to judge others too quickly. Uh, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Also, when we yield to a particular sin, it becomes a point of vulnerability for future temptation. So James First point is that to overcome temptation, uh, we must recognize its source. It does not come from God. It comes from our own sinful desires. When you give into that first sin, that first time, it's like walking through a tall, uh, grassy field. It wasn't easy to get through that field, but you gave into it. You gave into that sin, and, and you did it. But if you give in to that sin repeatedly, you keep walking through that tall, grassy field in the same place because you're giving into the same sin. Pretty soon you have a nice, well-even path. Makes it really easy to go flip into that sin over and over again. And pretty soon it becomes easier to do that sin than to do the right thing. Because we made it, we've made it a habit. It's just ingrained into our minds. We need to make sure we're not allowing that to happen. And we need to throw those thoughts in jail, uh, that, that thought jail. Or if you've let that happen, pray the Lord helps that to get a little more difficult. Lord, throw, throw, throw some rocks in that trail for me. Make it more difficult for me. Lord, help me to memorize verses to, to get my mind off of that, to distract me from it, Lord. But please make it more difficult for me to do that. Uh, or we can make it more difficult for ourselves. If we know we're susceptible to something, put safeguards, safe rails in your life to make it difficult for you to take that well-beaten path that you've worn because you keep choosing to take that sinful path. Now next, to overcome temptation, recognize its force. Look at verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Who is responsible when you are drawn away to do evil? You are responsible. The source of temptation is not God or the devil, but man's own sinful heart. Man is drawn away, then the Lord, to the hook of his own lusts. He is accountable and no one else. Um, if we are in a grip of lust, the fault is ours and ours alone. Every man is tempted. This is the declaration of the individuality or the personality and the race of mankind. Every man is tempted. Uh, each of us has a different moral nature. All of us have our own peculiarities, our own besetting sins, Hebrews 12.1. We all have something that, that seems like it's it, where it just all the time gets us or almost gets us. Uh, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which doth so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You can lay aside that besetting sin by asking the Lord to put some rocks in there. Let, let the weeds grow up, Lord. Help, give me, distract me. Give me something else. Give me those verses to remember, Lord. Temptations are always appealing. Otherwise, they would not tempt us. They would have no power of us. They're always appealing. The language James uses to describe the mechanism of temptation comes from the world of fishing. Drawn away, it's a fishing metaphor, suggests a picture of a fish has been hooked. A fish was enticed to just being attracted to bait or lure. So you have the, you go fishing, you have your lure, you have your bait, you throw it in there, the fish is looking up like, man, that worm looks really yummy. He's being enticed, he's being tempted, he's being enticed. He goes up and grabs that worm, and then he's hooked. 
Then he's drawn away. He's drawn away. We are tempted or enticed by the very appealing allurement of Satan in this world as especially designed to tap into our weaknesses. He studies us. He knows how to get us. And then we are so enticed. That worm looks so good. We get hooked into that sin. We get drawn away from God and God's goodness. And Martin Luther had these thoughts of temptation and yielding to it. He said, For they who think they make an end of temptation by yielding to it, only set themselves on fire the more. The more you yield in temptation, you're setting yourself on fire, is what Martin Luther said. James shows three ways that temptation is powerfully destructive. Number one, the force of temptation is that it dwells within our hearts. This is not an outside enemy. This is not an outside enemy, but one that lives within us. And dwelling sin lurks there until the day we die and go to be with Jesus. Uh, someone else used the analogy of carrying about within ourselves much flammable material, like, like, like you, that temptation. You carry around flammable material, and any spark can just cause an explosion. Number two, the force of temptation is that it has a powerful and deceptive emotional element. James 1.14 says that each one is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. As mentioned earlier, the words he uses come from fishing. Fish sees that bait. It lures him towards it, thinking that he will get a meal. Instead, he gets hooked. He gets carried away, where he becomes the meal. The temptation of sin is like that. We think that sin will just satisfy us and get us something good that we're missing, but instead it hooks us and just drags us to destruction. There is always that deceptive element to temptation. It's strengthened by the powerful emotions involved in temptation. As believers, we are not to live by our feelings, but by faith and obedience. We're never told to live by your feelings, but to live by faith, by obedience based on a knowledge of God's word or truth. We need to follow God's word no matter how strongly our feelings pull us in a different direction. A temptation makes us feel like heading towards sin, but we need to follow God's word no matter what we feel. And number three, the force of temptation is that it has a life of its own. The force of temptation is that it has a life of its own. We've all seen a tree growing out of a concrete sidewalk where it has split the concrete. You, you can picture that in your mind, a tree just split the concrete sidewalk. It split the concrete sidewalk. We've seen that. That's a great mental picture of what temptation does to us. It begins as that tiny little seed falling into a crack, but that seed had life in it. And the power of that life produced a tree which broke up the sidewalk. Temptation has that kind of destructive life in it. Don't let it take root in your life. It will start out small, but it can destroy. That little seed can start out small, can fall in the crack of that sidewalk. It looks like just a little weed, but you leave it alone. It's going to grow, grow, grow. It's going to destroy that sidewalk. It's going to make that big crack in that sidewalk. Temptation can start out small, but it can destroy. To overcome temptation, recognize its source, your own sinful desires. Recognize its force, it dwells in your own heart, and it's a powerfully deceptive emotion uh, with a life of its own. And finally, to overcome temptation, recognize its course. Look at verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In other words, when desire of the soul 
having conceived, gives birth to sin, which having been completed, brings forth death. When desire of the soul, having conceived, gives birth to sin, which having been completed, brings forth death. Verse 15 again. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James has a very interesting word choice in this verse. When lust hath conceived. This word actually means what you think it does. It means to become pregnant. That's, that's, that's what the Greek word means. Conception is the joining or union of two. This is actually a great way to help us understand this process. The desire of this old nature of ours joins with the outward temptation of that sin, and of the outward temptation that faces us, and thus at that point becomes sin. The natural question at this point is, is temptation sin? Billy Sunday put it this way. He said, temptation is not sin, yielding is. Temptation is not sin, yielding is. We're all going to see, uh, see something that's going to tempt us, but yielding to that temptation, then that's when it's sin. Temptation is not sin, yielding is. And Mr. Sunday was correct in that. Temptation is not sin. It does lead to sin uh, when the conception takes place. Where the thought in the heart is carried into action. Martin Luther expressed it this way. He said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head. But you can keep them from nesting in your hair. You can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. You can't keep from, seeing, from having temptation around you, thrown at you, but you can, you can keep it from nesting in your hair. You, you can keep from going over there and grabbing that. You can keep from looking, oh, man, that worm, man, that, that worm looks really nice. I know, I don't know why it's there. I don't know why it's so easy. It looks so easy. We can keep from acting on that temptation. You, can always, you, can all, you cannot always help when temptation will enter your life, though you can in some circumstances, and then you should take steps to avoid it. You can put up guards. You can, put up, uh, you can determine not to yield to that anticipated temptation, but we can anticipate that some temptation will enter our life, and we can guard ourselves from that. So then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Notice the certainty of that verse. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Uh, the birth cannot be stopped. When lust and temptation, when all that's conceived in our heart, it bringeth forth sin. The birth of sin cannot be stopped. Um, uh, when the evil thought in the heart is joined with the outward temptation, there is a birth of an act, a birth of a sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So we're looking at the course of temptation. When sin, when, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There are three kinds of death spoken of in Scripture. Number one, physical death. And that death comes to every man with certainty. Number two, spiritual death which is the condition of the lost man. He is dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. And number three, eternal death, which is the fate of man who dies in unbelief. Now the word death here primarily means separation. Therefore, for a believer, it means that when sin is born in his life, when it becomes an action, his fellowship with God is broken. There is separation. You cannot have fellowship with God and permit sin continually happen in your life. Sin will bring separation with your relationship with God. If you are his child, and he would judge you for it uh, if you do not judge yourself. James shows us that sin is never stationary. It moves steadily. It has that course. It heads to that ultimate hideous end, which is death. Sin is like a small crack in the dam. At first, it doesn't seem that threatening. 
but if it's not repaired quickly, it can collapse and cause terrible destruction. Look at verse 12 again, James chapter 1. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. In verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Death in verse 15 stands in great contrast to that crown of life. That crown of life. And sin bringeth forth death. The blessed the man that endureth temptation. When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. At the outset, temptation always promises excitement, fulfillment. It never comes along with this pitch. If it did, I don't think many of us would give in. Would you like to destroy yourself and your family? Would you like to disgrace your name in God's name? Then come on. It's going to be great. If the sin or temptation is put to us that way, I think I'll be like, no, no I'll, I'll pass on that. But usually it comes like this. This will be fun. This will be exciting. This will meet your needs. This, this is what you've been looking for. This is what you want. Go ahead. What can it hurt? Try it. That's usually how it comes to us. Then we take that bait. We're on that course that leads to death. We don't repent and get back on the path of righteousness. Someone has said, watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. Watch your character or becomes your destiny. So we're going to wrap this up, our conclusion. We will close out with four practical ways to overcome temptation. Number one, study and know yourself. Study and know yourself. Know where you're vulnerable and devise strategies to protect yourself. Others may be able to handle situations where you can't handle it. Uh, others may be able to handle whatever it is, but you know you, 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 could, you could fall if you put yourself in that situation or allow that in your life. Study and know yourself and devise strategies to protect yourself. Number two, avoid tempting situations. If you know certain things are of great temptation to you, then keep as far away from them as possible. Number three, have a predetermined commitment to follow Christ and to flee temptation. Be that Joseph. You're in that situation. When that temptation comes, I'm going to run. I'm going to flee. I don't care if I leave my coat. I don't care if I leave everything. I'm running. I'm fleeing. I have that predetermined commitment to follow Christ and to flee temptation. Number four, keep before you the gruesome end of temptation. The world glamorizes sin. Movies and magazines portray beautiful people enjoying all these terrible sins, living in sin, living in selfishness, and they have that luxury. This is, this is the ultimate pleasure. Sin is glamorous. You, you, you want to you follow us. In actuality, if they would show skeletons and rotting corpses enjoying those sins, that would be more accurate. Melissa more so than I, but we have both counseled uh, people and teens who have struggled with physical sin. Um, but we've never found one that was really happy about this. At first, man, this is fun. This is, this is nice. Um, but they're not happy. To this day, they're not happy. The ones that did not heed the biblical counsel offered are leading very unhappy lives, trying to find lasting happiness in the pleasures of sin. And they keep failing again and again and again. Uh, Hebrews eleven twenty four and 26. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. 
Now, this is really serious because you won't make it as a Christian if you do not learn to overcome temptation. Recognize its source. It does not come from God, but from our own lusts. Recognize its force. It dwells within and is powerfully deceptive with a life of its own. And recognize its course. If you don't abort it, it leads inevitably not to life, but to death. The Puritan Thomas Matton put it this way, either sin must die or the sinner. Either sin must die or the sinner. But there is good news. The glory of the gospel is that it can break the power of sin, halts the inevitable train of sin. If you are in a grip of temptation, uh, take that eternally healthy step of just admitting it. Say, I am a sinner. It's not a mistake. It's not their fault. It's not his fault. It's not God's fault. It's my fault. Repent of that. Turn back to God. And having confessed your responsibility of your sins fully to God, thank him for the forgiveness you have available through his precious shed blood. Ephesians 1.7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. If we've blamed everybody for that sin, we've, we've shifted blame, we, we, we just won't own up to it, own up to it. Confess it. It's me. It's not God's fault. It's not that situation's fault. It's not because so-and-so did this to me 10 years ago, five years ago. It's not because of this. It's not, it's not because of that. It's me. It's my fault. Confess that to the Lord. And then Ephesians 1, 7 says, in whom we have redemption. You can get that redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of sins. Through his blood, according to the riches of his grace, we can get right. We can change the course of our life. Just recognize the source of temptation does not come from God. Recognize its force. It dwells powerfully, incredibly deceptive, and recognize its course. Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the message you led us to this morning, Lord. Thank you for our church. Thank you for all those that are here, Lord. I know it's a different type of message this morning, Lord, but you definitely led us to it this morning. Uh, Lord, please help it work in, in my heart and in our hearts, Lord, and then those that may be watching or listening later, Lord, or listening now. But please help it, uh, Holy Spirit, please use it in our lives, Lord. Please help us make those decisions to live for you. In the name we pray.